Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning to our audience online. I actually recorded this message uh, during the church service, which we just wrapped up. I have a story to share with you. Um, as Drew was leading worship earlier today, while he was doing worship, um, the Lord really impressed on my heart that I needed to record with my handheld. Uh, and I literally was like, no, um, don't need to do that because I have my video recorder going and I can take the auto from that and that's what I'll put on. We're good. I even went home earlier today, like before the service started because I forgot my charger for this. So I drove home to get it, plugged it in. Everything's good. I got this Lord, everything's awesome. Well, after I finished the service, uh, I realized that it wasn't recording about halfway through. And that's because the charger that I drove home to get, I only plugged in halfway. So it was not plugged in and the battery died and uh, didn't record the message. So you guys are gonna get my abbreviated message, which uh, Lord willing, the Lord will bless. Uh, and I just wanna make sure for those of you who can't make it to church, cause I know there's quite a few that are unable right now, that you guys at least are caught up with us when we catch up next week. So I'm gonna record this right now to this empty building right now. Uh, so there won't be any interruptions, maybe a few amens. We'll see what happens here, but uh, let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you please, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit, Lord, just flowing through me as I teach this once again. This is really not about me, this is about you. So Lord, would you please bless this time of teaching? Uh, let it be fruitful in the ears of those who are hearing it and watching it, and let it be a blessing to them, Lord. I am so sorry, forgive me for not listening to you. Um, I know you were trying to save me this, uh, but Father, I just pray that you would bless this, Lord. Uh, obviously, you wanted this recorded twice, so would you please help it now? And uh, just use this for others' benefits. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we looked at Abram's beginning in faith as he journeyed with God. You know, we learned that faith is really a necessary component to obedience in a Christian's life. And how without faith, it's really impossible to please God. You know, for the most part, Abram was really a shining example of what it means to faithfully trust and obey God. But like I said last week... His faith and obedience was by no means perfect. Like all of us, there was times that Abram's faith was not on point. Um, he made some mistakes, and whenever he acted without that faith and obedience, difficult times were sure to come. You know, verse 10 of chapter 12 is the beginning of one of those difficult times that Scripture has preserved for us. So let's read it real quick, just that one verse. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. Now, I want to stop right there because I believe that there's a lot happening in that one verse that we need to understand. Just think about all the amazing things up to that point that Abram recently had accomplished in faith. You know, we think about this, that we we're reminded about the fact that we talked about last week was that you know, Abram prior to this was a Gentile moon worshiper. That's what he was. That's where he grew up. He did not grow up understanding the true and living God. He was worshiping false gods in an area that was saturated with idolatry. So he lived that lifestyle. Then out of nowhere, God shows up into Abraham's life and gave him really those very difficult commands. We talked about it last week, but he gave him those really difficult commands that he was supposed to do, that he had called him to do, which he almost perfectly completed. We, we saw last week that he didn't completely obey it and everything, but he, he did a pretty good job. And then he gave him those amazing promises, which we call the Abrahamic covenant, 
which he gave, and, and it had promises of what God was going to do, not based on his, you know, anything that he was doing, but based on the promises that God was doing because he chose him and he was going to work through him. And we're even recipients of those things. You know, we're part of that story too because part of those promises was about the Gentiles like us who were going to come to inherit that blessing through Jesus Christ. So when I think about this story... I think the thing is, is that if we were writing this story, not just me, but I, I bet you as well, if we were writing this story about how it was all going to go down, like I said last week, you know, we would write it maybe similar to how it started out. God told him to go. Abraham went. God told him to leave his father's house. He did. God told him to do all of this without knowing exactly where he was going. He said, okay. That's where we probably would have stopped, though. We would have been right there, and then we would have written our own story from there. We would have used that portion, which, which that's recorded in Scripture. These are the things that he did. But we would have tweaked a little bit after that. We would have put down something like, Then God rewarded Abraham's faith and his will willingness to sacrifice everything in his life to obey God by blessing him beyond his wildest dreams. As Abraham spent the rest of his years fulfilling God's promises and reaping the rewards of faithfulness till the day that he died. That's kind of how we think sometimes things work spiritually. But that's not the way that God wrote Abram's story. You know, Abram was a faith-wielding superstar, there's no doubt. But shortly after he began his journey in faith, his newfound faith was about to be tested. And Abram was really not ready for what he was about to endure. Instead of earthly blessing upon blessing, Abram found himself in the middle of a crisis. As severe famine had come over the land, and Abram felt that he had to take matters into his own hand at that point. Just to survive. You can see he just responded. So let's read that verse again real quick before we move on. In verse 10 it says, There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. <coughs> Notice what's missing. Nowhere does it say that God told him to go to Egypt. Nor do we have any indication that Abram sought God's guidance in the middle of this. You know, he had this new relationship with the only true and living God of all existence. And he didn't stop to ask him what was going on. No, the, the famine hit. He obediently went out. He did exactly as God had told him to do in those respects. He gets there, and suddenly there's this famine. And he starts taking action. Now, why was it Egypt? Why did he think Egypt, first of all? Why did he say, we got to go to Egypt from here? Why was he thinking that way? You know, perhaps it was because it was a country that had vast resources, when you think about this. Because of all the water that's in the Nile and all the, the water that's in that area, there would have been food available. They would have been able to harvest food and they would have survived. There was a famine that was going on, which takes away, obviously, all the food. So they needed food. So he's thinking, okay... Logically, this makes sense. In Egypt, there's food, there's provision, there's water there. I've got to take action because in the middle of this famine, I have to get these people out of here, and we need to make sure that we're still surviving. Perhaps he felt the weight of the responsibility of taking care of his wife and all of his slaves and servants that came with him. 
But what I found is man's logic and our own ideas about what's best when it comes to taking course of actions, they're not always the right decisions. In fact, sometimes what seems to make the most sense at any particular moment in our life, a crisis moment, is not at all what God wants us to do. Kind of like what we're going to see here. In verse 11, it says, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. Now remember, Sarai at this point, we believe, is probably about 65 years old, somewhere around that. But also remember that the average lifespan of a person at this time, right after the flood, you know, later on, the closer to the flood period, it was a much longer lifespan. We know that Sarah would go on to live 127 years total. And Abram was going to live 175 years. Jacob, which would be a future descendant of Abraham, he goes on to say that 130 years is counted as just a few. So just to give you an idea of what the perspective was in that time frame, really at that point, if she was 65 years or close to it, that was pretty young. Uh, some estimate <coughs> that her physical condition in her late 60s or mid-60s, whatever it was, would be equivalent to a woman in her 30s or 40s in our day and age. Physically, that's what she would kind of look like or act like. But even with that being said, you know, we're going to see eventually that there was another time where she was near 100 years old at that time, somewhere between 90 and 100 years, I think closer to 90. But even at that time, she was still considered desirable. So I don't know how all that works out. But at that time, she was still considered desirable. And other men wanted her. So again, this was a beautiful woman. This was someone that, again, that was special to Abram. And obviously, a lot of people just thought she was just a, a splendid woman in every respect. But when we read this whole thing, and, and we see Abram tell her, you know, look, Sarah, I need you to make this, this promise to me. I need you to cover for me, basically. You know, we, we hear him, and, and we see the things that he says, and we think, you don't have her best interests at heart here. You know, because he recognizes that she's a beautiful woman, but he says, when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife, and they're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. So I need you to say that you're my sister. Do not say that you're my wife. Because of that, they'll spare my life. But he never stopped to think about what would happen to her. What, what was he asking her to do to participate in this grand scheme that he had? There's a few things to consider here. Some people will defend his actions, and they say, well, number one, and, and I've thought of this myself, but he probably was pretty immature in his faith. When you think about this, he, how long had he really known the true and living God? Remember, he came from an idolatrous, idolatrous situation where they worshiped false gods, which had no power to save, no power to help. They didn't respond to his situations when he would offer his sacrifices to them on the ziggurats and all these things. <coughs> so it would be natural for him when he's dealing with his God, that he has to take matters into his own hands because that's just what he did his whole life. He didn't have a mature understanding about who God was and what God wanted to work through him and his capabilities of solving his problems. 
And his idea, I'm sure he still thought, well, okay, I found the true and living God, but I need to fix these things myself because that's just what I've always done. Another thing, too, is technically this was only a partial lie. She truly was his half-sister. We're going to see that later in Scripture. But they had the same father but not the same mother. So technically she was his half-sister. Other people say, well, maybe he was just trying to have a plan so he bought some time in case that did happen. Because if the father was dead, which we believe that he was at that time, or at least he wasn't present at the very least, when somebody came and they wanted to betroth her, they wanted to actually marry her, they would have to then go through the, the brother if the dad was not present. So he set himself up to be that brother so that if anybody did actually want to marry her or take her away, they would have to ask his permission, which he probably would have said no. Whatever the case was, I'm sure that he was not fully counting the cost of what he was asking her to do and the possibility of what was going to happen next. In verse 14, it says, When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. So much for that plan, right? He didn't count on that. Who would have ever thought that she was so beautiful that Pharaoh himself would want her? So they go into Egypt, all of his little servants are looking around, they're like, ooh, she's good looking. I bet you Pharaoh would really like this woman to be in his part of his harem or whatever it was. One more trophy that he could have, one more beautiful woman in his life, whatever it was. So they go and they say, Pharaoh, you've got to see this woman that's coming to town, this, this foreigner that's coming. She's absolutely spectacular. She's beautiful. We think you would really enjoy her. You would really love to have her in your harem. So you should come and check her out. He does. He says, sure, she's mine now. See, Abram never counted on that. He never counted on the fact that he didn't, Pharaoh didn't care about tradition. He didn't care about what the values were of foreigners coming in. If Pharaoh wanted something, Pharaoh took something because that's the way it worked in Egypt. Remember, they worshiped them as, as deity. Whatever they said they wanted, they had. It was given to them automatically. It was assumed that was going to happen. He didn't count on that. You know, but not all was lost on Abram. When you, when you look at the next verse here, look how kind Pharaoh was to him after he kidnapped his wife. In verse 16, it says, He treated Abram well because of her. <coughs> and Abram acquired flocks and herds and male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. So Abram loses his wife, but got a whole bunch of animals and slaves. He was now richer than ever. It would be like one of the guys today I was sharing with him. It would be like one of the guys showing up here, the men of the church, showing up in a brand new Lamborghini and a butler or a maid. And he brings them with them and they're like, hey, where's your wife? Eh, you know, she's got a gun. But check out my new car. Check out my butler, man. He does anything that I want, right? That would not be good for your marriage. That would not be a good situation. I think it's safe to say that Abram failed that test. And I'm certain that he felt like his whole life was certain, suddenly spinning out of control. Can you imagine the questions he had for God? We don't have anything recorded, but I'd like to think, how would I have responded to God in this situation? Maybe Abraham felt these things or said these things. Like, everything was going so well, God. I did exactly what you asked me to do. Why would you allow the famine to push me into Egypt? I went where you asked me to go. I did what you asked me to do. Why would you allow this to happen right after I obeyed you? Why would you let Pharaoh take my wife? Of all the women, why did you have him take her? Why didn't you stop him? What else was I supposed to do, God? 
How else was I supposed to survive? We had to come to Egypt. Now, again, I don't know if that's exactly what he, he was thinking or saying, but I, like I said, I believe that most of us would have been asking those very same questions. You know, this is a reminder that sometimes famines come right after spiritual victories in our lives. Sometimes right after we do something so right with God, he allows us to be tested. He allows us to be tested. And that's hard for us to understand because we forget the pattern that we see in Scripture. That's not what's taught on these, you know, these big you know, churches sometimes that are, that are teaching that if, if you accept Jesus and you surrender your life to Jesus, God's just going to pour out blessing upon blessing in your life. And you're just going to be so incredibly blessed. He's going to fix all your problems. Everything's going to come together. And they're taught this message that is not biblical. See, when we look back to the author and finisher of our faith, and we see how he lived his life, when we look at Jesus himself, we look at the time when he was baptized, and this was kind of a climatic moment in his life, where he was publicly proclaimed as the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, and everybody was like, oh, starting to stir up that this is the Messiah, and starting to understand these things as it was happening. But if you remember right after that time, right after his baptism, it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days by Satan himself. Now that was no joke. That was a very difficult time. But it was the Spirit that led him into the wilderness. It was the Spirit that actually did these things. And again, that's hard for us to understand because it's like, if you do everything right, if, if I step out in faith and obedience and I do what, you're, what you've asked me to do and it was sacrificial and it cost me something, aren't you going to bless me for doing those things? Shouldn't the next thing be blessing that happens in my life, not famine? Why would there be crisis and difficulties if I'm obeying you, God? Why would that happen? We forget that sometimes in this life, God does bring us into famines right after spiritual victories. Sometimes he does allow our faith to be tested right after we've done something great and we feel very strong spiritually. It's not to amuse himself. It's not to, for him to watch us feel, fail miserably in life. It's a much higher and more important thing than that. Like in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The testing of your faith produces endurance. It doesn't make you stronger. It produces strength. Endurance. And it's in that word that's so important, the second word in verse 4. And let, allow endurance to have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God allows us to be tested. God allows our faith to be stretched. He allows difficulties to happen because he is building up our spiritual endurance. And this is something that is sorely lacking in many, many people in Christians across the country. I'm sorry, my third throat is dry because I just finished doing this. My throat's dry now. I'm not sick. Everything is good. I believe this is why we have such a shallow form of Christianity in America because, again, what's taught week after week in Scripture is that if you accept Jesus, then everything's just going to be, it is going to be just, or in churches, 
if you accept Jesus, Jesus is going to fix all your problems and everything's going to be great. He's going to give you everything you want. You're a king's kid and all this stuff. But, but the problem with that is sometimes he leads us right into the wilderness. Sometimes after a spiritual height where you did the right thing and you did step away from those friends and you did, you know, start tithing or whatever it is. Sometimes God allows difficulties to happen. And then when trials come, they reveal that you have no endurance, no spiritual endurance. You just walk away. You give up on God because you just don't understand why he would allow something so terrible to happen. See, I believe that God, <coughs> in a situation like that with Abraham, where Abraham was actually doing the right thing and he was, he was doing all that God was asking him to do, I believe that God was strategically making him stronger for what was still yet to come because there were still going to be plenty of challenges in his life from there too. And I think that sometimes the church forgets that God uses the testing of our faith to produce endurance in our lives, just as that word says in the book of James. Produce means to overcome, and then it implies working out or making something out of it. So trials have a way of overcoming some simple things in our lives first, like pride and arrogance and self-dependence. It attacks those things because we can't fix things. We can't make things go right. And then once those things have been dominated in our life and overcome, then God starts producing spiritual endurance in us because we understand we need him. It's not our endurance. It's our dependence upon his endurance. That's where we, we thrive spiritually. You know, I've never seen a man or a woman that had an enduring faith that did not gain it through a severe time of testing in their life. Every Christian that I have met that is, has just blown me away with how strong they are in their faith, they have a story. There's things that have happened in their life that has been devastating, but through those trials, and it wasn't easy, and they often did not handle it right. Oftentimes, they questioned God, and they lacked faith, or they made foolish decisions, but through those trials and difficulties, God used that to produce endurance in their life, to bring spiritual maturity to come, you know, to, come to pass in their life. I saw a great example of this uh, maybe in, in the world just recently. My family and I have started watching a TV show, <coughs> which forgive me if, uh, you know, I haven't watched a bunch of them. I've only seen a few of them, but so far I like what I see. It's called the Titan Games. And these guys would go and, you know, I have a strong guy against another strong guy and you have a strong girl against another strong girl. And they compete against each other in, in like uh, strength and endurance type things. Well, there was this one guy who had a mullet, he was rocking a mullet, and he didn't quite fit the mold of what everybody else did. I mean, everybody else that I've seen compete, <coughs> and the men especially, were very, you know, strong and buffed and cut, you know, they had six packs and everything else, and they were just really strong-looking people. They were, they were gym strong, you know what I mean? They were the type that stand in front of the mirror and get that muscle to come out of that vein to show up just right, and they got the, they got the look, you know, they're taking selfies at the gym, and look at what I've done, and all this stuff, and they're just like, you look at them like, man, you're like a perfect specimen of a human being, right? That's the type of person that a lot of them are, just these really buffed men and women, you know? And then you got this guy. I'm not gonna say his name, I don't remember his name. But I know, I think of him as country strong, because that's what he says. His little intro, he goes, I'm country strong. They're gym strong. I'm country strong. It shows him doing like push-ups on a tractor, and, you know, and he's out working the field and doing all this stuff. Well, that resonated me, with me because I remember as a young kid, my parents would take me into uh, Arizona at my grandparents' ranch. And man, I worked hard. You know, we would dig post holes and we would go out and 
you know, haul around hay to all the different animals and with the water truck. And I mean, it was dirty, hard work, constantly going, and you were tired by the end of the day. And it wasn't like I was sitting there getting ripped and, you know, doing sit-ups or anything like this, but I was just physically being tested all the time. And anybody who's grown up on a ranch or a farm, you understand there's a lot of physical work, and it's constant work, and it's constant difficulties, and there's things that are constantly testing you all day long. You may not show it as far as being the most buff person or perfect specimen for all those things, but you are a strong individual that understands you must persevere because this has to get done. That's country strong. That's the title of this message today because I think that's what we need in Christianity. We don't need people that just look perfect as a Christian. You know, that they, they would be the type that, oh, they dress right and they sound right and they look right and they say the right things and they say amens when they're supposed to. I mean, all that stuff, you know, they look at them and just see these perfect people, perfect specimens, right? And they're really, really great. But when it came down to those two men competing, the one guy that was perfect on the outside didn't have one thing. And you know what that one thing was? Well, there was a few things. He didn't have humility either. But... The one thing that he was lacking, endurance. He was strong. He was stronger than the other guy. But that other guy, he had endurance, man. He just wouldn't quit. He wouldn't give up. And the other guy couldn't match it. He was faster. He was just the things he learned by overcoming obstacles on a daily basis and the things that he was doing, it paid off longer for him because he had endurance. And Christians need endurance, especially in this day and age. We need endurance. We don't need to look a certain way or act a certain way. We don't have to have the most beautiful churches or the most, you know, the biggest, coolest worship band. We don't need any of that stuff. What we need is we need Christians who have endurance because these are difficult times. And I don't know how long it's going to be difficult. I don't know if this is going to be the rest of our existence on this earth until the Lord returns. I, I don't know what the next challenges are going to be, but what I do know is this, is if you don't have physical endurance, or I'm sorry, spiritual endurance as a Christian, you will not win the race. You can't just look good. You can't just act good. You have to have some depth of maturity inside of you spiritually so that as these things happen, you continue to go forward. You continue to stand. You continue to, to have the strength that you need to make it through these times. And that only happens if you have spiritual endurance. And God says, I use trials and difficulties to build up spiritual endurance inside of you. This is what we have to be. We can't just be gym strong Christians. We have to be country strong Christians. We have to be the type of guys and girls that despite what's going on and the difficulties and the challenges, we still trust the Lord and we still go forward. And as these difficulties and trials are happening, we do have to look at it and say, God, I believe that you're working in my life. I believe you're doing something that I cannot understand, but I know that it's going to be good for me because you're breaking down my pride and my arrogance and self-sufficiency. And I'm learning to trust you and learning that you are the only one that can meet these needs in my life. I wonder how many times I have shortchanged myself when God was supposed to be, when God was trying to do something in my life that I felt like I need to step up and do something. The example that I gave earlier is how many times 
Has there been a crisis that's occurred in my life? And instead of stopping and waiting and seeking the Lord and figure out what God wants to do in this circumstance and waiting for him to give me direction for what the next move is, how many times have I done like Abram and said, oh, there's Egypt. Egypt represents the world, by the way. And so many times when difficulties hit us as Christians, we think, what's the world thing to do? How do we fix this? Because I need to fix this now. There's a famine going on for me to survive. This is just what I got to do. And never once do we stop and ask God, God, I'm in the midst of this crisis. There's a difficulty. You've been close to me. You've revealed yourself to me. What do you want me to do? How do I handle this, God? How do I handle this in a way that glorifies you? So many times we're so quick to say, there's Egypt. Let's go there. That'll fix our problems. Let's do this. That'll fix our problems. How many times have I ripped myself off where I did not get the experience of seeing God deliver me or having the next move laid out for me and knowing that it was God and not getting to experience that because, again, I tried to fix the situation myself. We're going to see next week that the consequence was, was really terrible and, and God is good and he still loves us and does all kinds of great things in our lives. Even when we mess up, even when we handle things wrong, because we're his children. He does allow consequences and there's difficulties from wrong decisions and you know there's things that happen in our life, but God is good. God is good and he is still working in our life despite those things. And again, we will see that next week. For today, though, I just want to challenge you. How is your endurance? Are you growing and maturing in your faith in the midst of all these things going on, this famine that you're in the midst of? Maybe not a physical famine, but spiritually. Are you in your word? Are you in fellowship if you can? You, you don't necessarily have to be here if, if, uh, you know, if it's not safe for you to be here, if, if you've got some health issues. But I'll tell you what, man, watching this online is not as good as being here with us. It's not that I do anything any better. It's just there's some real power when we can pray for one another, when we can minister to one another. Um, there's fellowship. There's, there's just some blessings in fellowship. Now, again, not everybody can do that, and I understand that. There's some very real things, even in our little church, where people cannot be here. Uh, but for some, they're just not here just because they just don't want to. And, and I wonder, I worry about that, in our culture, <clears throat> what the church is going to look like. I guess I shouldn't say I worry about that because I really don't. Um, it's more of I wonder. I wonder what the church is going to look like when all this kind of settles. <clears throat> because there's a lot of people that I think have kind of come into the impression that I can just watch the service online and I don't necessarily need to have fellowship, but we do need fellowship. We need it. Uh, number one, God tells us to have fellowship as best we're able um, but, but we really need it. And I think when we get back together and we're worshiping together, we realize that everybody who comes, they're like, man, it feels so right again. Because uh, there's, there's power when, when we're gathered together where God is just doing some great things. We need to make sure, though, <clears throat> that, again, we're growing in strength and, and, and we're letting God grow us in endurance, not hindering it by us just making quick decisions trying to find our solution in the world when maybe God is trying to do something through that circumstance to build endurance. Let's not get in the way of what he's doing. Let's make sure that it is truly God 
who is working in our lives. And then let's not rip ourselves off of that experience because how many times have we ripped off God when God had a better solution, but we interfered with our own solution? I wonder, you know, in eternity, if he's going to show us those times, like, I had a better solution for you. Sure, you succeeded and you fixed the problem, but I had a better one. Man, if you've ever experienced that, where you saw God come through in a situation that was really stressing you out, and God actually took care of the situation, if you've ever experienced that, the blessing of that, there's very few things in life that are more satisfying than that. You come through that situation, you're like, man, God was so real, and he, and he was so involved, and I, I was so close to blowing it and doing it my own way, but God actually was so faithful to us, and he still loved me. And he still took care of it, and he provided for us in a way that I couldn't have done myself. We walk out of that situation built up in our faith. And that's what God is doing. He's building our faith in him when we learn to trust him in the midst of difficulties and trials. That's where that endurance grows. question is, though, are you adding to your faith by getting in the word? Are you praying? Are you encouraging other people? Are you stepping out? Do you have opportunities where you share with other people and encourage them? Because right now, all they have is the world, and the world is letting them down. Politics, politicians are letting them down. The system is letting them down. Everything is falling apart in so many people's lives right now. Are we telling people about the truth of Jesus Christ? Are we helping them right now? Pointing them to the one who can help them and give them strength in the midst of these things. Give them comfort in the midst of these things. Give them hope in the midst of these things. Are we pointing people to him in the midst of that? Because we have him. Are we sharing him? Are we pointing others to it? So like I said, next week, we will continue to build on this. We'll finish out this section and go into the next. But I just want to challenge you guys to please get in the word. Please look at your circumstances differently. If you're going through a difficult, a difficult time, which many of you are, See it through this example here, where God is actually using this situation in Abram's life to build up his faith and to trust him more so that he can actually be more beneficial for God's kingdom. He will be. Uh, obviously, we know that Abraham is going to play a major part all the way down through our lives. But God was allowing him to go through a difficult time at this moment because he was building him up in his faith. He was tearing down some things to build him up spiritually. And perhaps that's what God might be doing in your life and my life and everybody else's life, that all this is going crazy. Maybe he's building new men and new women that are completely dedicated and set aside for his purpose. Let's be country-strong Christians, not gym-strong Christians. We don't need selfie Christians. What we need is people who are just living their life daily, going through the trials and difficulties, and just increasing in endurance, spiritual endurance, as the Lord is getting us through each situation as we're learning to trust him and endure difficult circumstances in life through him. That's what we need right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the example of, of Abram in this situation. And even though we barely touched on it, Lord, there's a lot more that needs to be covered. Father, we just see that, you know, his first initial reaction was for himself to go and figure out this situation. And and he made a foolish decision which ended up hurting his wife. And, and I know that wasn't intentional, but Father, it did. And uh, sometimes in life we make wrong decisions with, which hurts people that we love. Father, would you please, would you please help us to not do those things, Lord? Would you help us to stop and hit the pause button every once in a while and seek you 
uh, first instead of just trying to fix the situation instead of saying oh there's the solution there's Egypt right there I can fix this myself Lord how many times have we made similar mistakes in life Lord we thank you for your grace and your goodness I pray Lord that you would just minister to those who are watching this video today Lord would you please minister to them and bless them incredibly Lord let them know that you are very very in tune with what's going on in their life and let this be a reminder Lord that you are walking through it with them right at this very moment. Lord, I thank you. We love you. We pray that you please continue to build us up in our faith, and we trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. God bless you. I hope to see you next week. If not, I hope you guys see me next week, maybe watching the next video. <coughs> but you guys have a great day, great week. And remember, let's focus on being country strong Christians, not gym strong. We're not here to impress anyone. We're here to be strengthened by the only one that can strengthen us through trials and difficulties. God bless you guys.